0: My name is Sister Prince, and I'm interviewing Jeannie Trevor uh, for the Oral History Project at the uh, History Museum for the Black History exhibit on music. Jean Trevor is a singer and an actress, a St. Louis entertainer who's toured internationally, um, came to St. Louis in 1962. Today is October 6, 1989. Jean? Jean, would you tell me when and where you were born, if you don't mind? If you do, <laughs> just tell me the where.
1: Uh, I'll tell you the where. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, the, the where is in New York City, um, the part known as Harlem, okay. uh, in June. I'm a Gemini. <laughs>
0: uh, are you? Um, has being a Gemini meant anything in uh, your career?
1: It seems like it. <laughs> they say it has a lot to do with uh, many things, musically speaking or artistically. like. There are a lot of greats who are Gemini's, like Sir Lawrence Olivier and Paul McCartney, Leslie Uggins. Josephine Baker. I'm really proud of that. Oh, that, that uh, I think she was born the, the same day, if I'm not mistaken, June the third, but not the
0: same year. Um, tell me about your family. My family
1: consisted early on with my father, who was an entertainer himself, a singer, had a quartet, known as the Baker Street Boys. That was the street that he lived on in Richmond, Virginia, Mm -hmm. and they came to New York and were booked by the uh, Joe Glazer Booking Agency, and that's where we were all born. And my mother, who says she should have been a dancer, (laughs) but never was allowed to really pursue that. Two brothers. Uh, one deceased now, and one sister, four altogether, and we all had musical talent.
0: Uh, what did you do with it in
1: Harlem? Actually, I studied. I, I didn't. I was pretty young. I didn't have a childhood career like a lot of artists had. Mm-hmm. So I just uh, took musical. I took tap dancing and something equivalent to jazz dancing, I forgot what they called it back then, and voice lessons.
0: So was music, um, I'm sorry?
1: No, I was going to say I went to an academy up there in Harlem, the School
0: of Musical Arts. School of Musical Arts? mm mm-hmm. uh, Did any of your brothers and sisters go?
1: That's funny, no they didn't, but they achieved some success in their own way. Uh, my youngest well let's see, I'll start with the the oldest brother achieved success through the Air Force. He was in a musical group called the Pastels and you can still buy it. they came out along with the Temptations and the mm-hmm. Coasters and all those people. They were all Air Force guys and they started singing in the Air Force and later got a recording contract and my brother also wrote and still getting royalties from a lot of songs that Wilson Pickett, this rock singer, does. What was your brother's name? His name is uh, James Willingham. That's the family name, Willingham.
0: W I L A J. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so music was a part of your family, family
1: background, right?
0: And then the other brother, uh, he got
1: in a little group called. Well, they had several names. The one that stuck out, in my mind, was the Montclair's. He didn't stay in it that long. He was into computer, early computer in its infancy. He was doing real well at that before he passed. And my sister did pretty well. My kid sister was in a group called the uh, Pastels, an all-girl group, and they did a lot of touring. There were warm-up acts for big names like Arthur Prysock jazz singer Gloria Lynn and, oh, a lot of people. They traveled a lot. They came to St. Louis long before I ever thought of being here
0: mm-hmm.
1: and appeared at the Keel Auditorium.
0: Did you all ever do anything together as a family, as kids?
1: Only in the house. That's something we all kind of took off. I always liked opera. I eventually wound up studying opera. I wasn't interested in the pop tunes of the day or whatever they were doing. So I took off in a different direction musically, but the three of them, sometimes they teamed up and went on. Their respective groups one time, I remember, were at the Apollo Theater together. Oh. The Pastels, my sister's group, and the, uh, wait a minute, I'm getting them mixed yeah, up. The oh my god. Brothers. The Pastels, my brother's group, these names, the, the Hearts. I hope I got that. I thought you. I, I was waiting. to thanks. Might tie that
0: together, but I.
1: No. You got all these names. That's the okay. Hearts was the girls' mm-hmm. group, and the Montclair's. They happened to be in the same bill. It was a big, like a big extravaganza. They called
0: mm-hmm. it. Um, was this was something natural, or did your parents kind of put you in this direction, motivate you? Yeah, around? they
1: were motivating, but I think I would have probably gravitated toward it anyway. Mm-hmm.
0: What did you thought to do for a living other,
1: other than mm-hmm. sing? Well, when he gave that he gave that up after four kids came along for the most part, and he became a chef on the New York Central Railroad. So he stayed there until he died. He got a lot of free train rides.
0: <laughs> um, So, was there someone uh, that, outside your family, that encouraged you on a personal level? Mm. I got a lot of encouragement from
1: people that I studied with and peers, associates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were motivating too. That's we, why I try to be that way toward other people.
0: Jeannie, what age did you start this school?
1: singing on uh, the School of mm-hmm. Musical Arts. I guess I was about 13 or something like that. Then I went into serious study around like 16, 17. Mm-hmm. What does serious study mean? The classics mm-hmm. you know, and music theory and all of that.
0: Right. Uh, did, did you sing at church?
1: We had a choir, but it wasn't in Harlem, but it wasn't a very, um, <laughs> it wasn't a stable one. People would come and go in it. but we did have a choir, yeah, I did a lot of that. Uh, some choirs were very serious about singing on, well, I'm a Catholic, and uh, singing at Mass and all that. I mean. But this neighborhood, they just had people that wandered in and out if they felt like mm-hmm. it. <laughs> that's it. Though we did have regular choir practice, but I notice now that choirs have gotten to be very professional-minded.
0: Mm-hmm. More structured.
1: Yeah, that's the word. Uh,
0: continue on with your education, and, mm-hmm. and did you do any singing um, for audiences? When did you first start that? I think that
1: little musical school that was really a biggie. We had a big concert down at one of the auditoriums in Harlem, and that was my first time singing out professionally, quote mm-hmm. professionally, we didn't get paid, but yeah. you know, a professional mm-hmm. performance. Uh, and then after that, uh, as I said, the classics became my love. and. I became interested in jazz a little later on because there was, at that time, they had classical musicians like Bill Evans that leaned toward the classics. Mm-hmm. Gil Evans, conductor. They had a sound that was Gil pretty... Bill Evans, you're talking about? Yeah. You said Bill Evans? Bill and Gil. No, oh, Bill was the, the piano Bill player, was the right? Pianist, right? Okay, and Gil was a fantastic musical arranger and conductor. He did a lot of the... Uh, Albums from Miles Davis. Okay. He was a little older than than Bill. All right. But he lived longer for some reason.
0: Uh, When we talk about uh, the jazz, if you could put it in like you're doing, Mm -hmm. it's a little more classical, is that a little more sophisticated uh, type of jazz?
1: Yeah, jazz has so many elements to Mm it. As we do in the school program, it's it's now even gone into the direction of fusion. There's fusion jazz, there's cool jazz, there's the bebop jazz, mm-hmm. there's traditional, there was, there's the Dixieland, uh, there was uh, the swing things that came out in the 20s and 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. big band jazz. Uh, Who knows which direction jazz is avant-garde jazz, which is more leaning towards instrumentally than
0: vocally. If you could give a definition Mm.
1: of jazz. That is truly hard, but there is a...
0: Your definition.
1: Oh, okay. While jazz is the art of improvisation, you are free to experiment in the world of jazz music. There are structures that you should and can follow. Basic, uh, basic rules that that you can work within the framework
2: mm-hmm.
1: of. And there are opportunities for you to add or subtract beats or notes or throw in harmonics that fit other than what's written there of course uh, it has to be understood from the beginning that uh, this is what you're gonna do you just don't fly off the handle and start doing all kind of off the wall things but you you jam you know, you've heard of those jam sessions well, haven't you
0: Yes, and I was just going to say when you started I, a question form that mm-hmm. I see people, you know, that it seems to me that they've all just sat down mm-hmm. and they're all fine musicians and they just start playing. And how does one know when one's <laughs> going to go off in this direction if, if they're all just sort of jamming? That's
1: Well, underneath all that, there is a framework, there's a melody, there's a point of departure, Mm -hmm. and there's many things you can do. Uh, Dancers do the same thing, Uh, cooks, dressmakers, a lot of them, they have this basic pattern. Except that
0: you all have a group, Uh and you're doing it as maybe three as a trio or a quartet was a cook is cooking by herself. The cancer, <laughs> okay, I see what
1: you're getting yeah. at. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, there's a feel, and, and they know. Well, if the music is written out naturally, you're, you're reading it and you're following a given line there. But when it t- comes time for your solo, well, you a little part to improvise, that's when you work within the framework of what's down there. I see.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: um, and that fascinated me because, you know, classical music is quite structured and quite to, to the point, and you, you do what's written there and you you don't oh, deviate so from that or...
0: So you really had the...
1: The freedom music. and...
0: Mm-hmm. In jazz you had the freedom. Yeah,
1: it's a very free music.
0: Well, how did you get from classical to jazz?
1: <laughs> well, there was one fellow in the neighborhood that used to take me... Uh, He was a jazz pianist, to some of his rehearsals, and at first it didn't make any sense to me at all, and I said, wow. But I was going because I liked him. (laughs) But the more I listened, the more I could hear things that really, I could always, I began to be able to pick out the melody from, even when they went off, or to hear the basic chord structures. Uh, It's a great listening experience. The more you really listen, the more you learn. And I became extremely fascinated. Then he offered to, uh, to teach me some songs, you know, some of the popular songs, uh, and give me the keys. And you know it was I started out real stiffly. In fact, I had a hard time and still do, in a way, of breaking away from a lot of rigid classical training. I don't have that or I didn't, for the most part, that looseness. That a lot of blues and jazz and pop singers have that freedom of feeling. I was, it's a cautiousness, you sing with it, a reserved cautiousness in opera. I mean, it's so different from what you, you hear out there.
0: Do you still have that poem?
1: Or? Mm, once in a while I think I could hear it, you know, you never too, stray too far away from your roots. That, uh, a lot of people would say, she sings well, but she doesn't sing with any soul, you see. So being an actress, I'm not saying I'm acting when I'm singing, but it gives you interpretation. Not only of melody, but of words.
0: Well, uh, where does the feeling...
1: Comes, well, the cliché I know is it comes from within. And you're not just reading along the paper, you're, you're really living it, and you're, you're getting the words uh, over in a melodic way that, like you're talking to people, mm-hmm. you're not just singing a note. There are some singers with excellent voices, but for some reason they don't reach you. I mean, you just, mm-hmm. something's missing. Ray Charles has a tremendous Way of reaching people, but you wouldn't say that that's the voice of voices.
2: Right.
1: But by the same token, uh, if you like Pavarotti, he can reach you too, and he's got a very legit voice. But he he's got something within mm-hmm. him that just comes out there and grabs you.
0: Music is is so <laughs> personal for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you can it can be as just the melody that can pull you or it can be something that reminds you of of, uh, something. I I think I'm fascinated by singers. I never know when they open their mouth (laughs) out, they know what's going to come out. (laughs) It could be on the wrong key. Uh, It scares me. (laughs) I have a lot of respect for you. (laughs) Um, uh, How did Harlem? lend itself to, since we don't know exactly what year we're talking about... Oh, this is awful. (laughs) I want to give you a little hint. No, you don't have to. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But how did Harlem lend itself to the music, Uh, whether in a uh, a sense of the neighborhood or a sense of the people or or where you uh, may go to listen to music?
1: Harlem in the days I lived there was a real happy, nice place to live. Uh, there were lots of music. Music played a big fact, a factor in the life of anybody that lived in Harlem in those days. I'm from around the Diane, um uh, Leslie Uggins era. They were all Harlemites at one time, yeah, and. Uh, Sydney Poitier, too, for that matter. Quite a few people came from Harlem, and that was our pride and joy, the artists that lived up, I guess, like the Greenwich Village painting artists. We had the musical talents up there and the budding actors and actresses. Uh, I don't know, the lifestyle in Harlem was carefree and everybody had a sense of pride about their block, as they called it, a mm-hmm. neighborhood. And uh, I don't know, that played a big part. I guess you were just born into the musical aspects up here.
0: So it was, you, you you were reaching for something with a sense of pride mm-hmm. that others had attained and you could, felt you could yeah. too.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's true.
0: When did you come to St. Louis?
1: I came here when roundabout way. I had been going to school, to college in L.A. I came here in 62, and it was supposed to be for a short-term visit, but it turned into be a long, long time with bouts in and out of here, but as a permanent resident. resident that's what happened.
0: I jumped. You went from your
1: from from, school, Harlem, from Harlem to Los Angeles to
0: go to college, college
1: uh-huh. which college? No, I chose an easy economical way, <laughs> but it was a great college for the arts, LACC, Los Angeles City College. A lot of actors came out of there, I loved and I was going to get my two years there which were almost free. It was amazing what you could. You all—all all you had to pay for were your books. You didn't even have to pay for points or anything. But did
0: you get a scholarship or
1: something? No, anybody could do that. Okay. But I was hoping to get a scholarship and go finish my rest—the rest of my years at mm-hmm. USC or UCLA, the other two, rather. With a, well, I was torn between a theater degree and a music degree. Well, I was still studying with private teachers, so I said, well, I'll get a little bit of both. I'll have a theater degree and I still have my music, my studies on the side, and I'll take extra music classes. So it was a theater, a two-year theater, Associate mm-hmm. in the Arts. And I was going to make up my mind for the other two years, they played an equal enjoyment in my life, the theater and the music. So I was, let's see, I was going to school there and most of it was at night because I had a day job too as a secretary and I had a little job singing in a club in Malibu okay. called La Mare. I don't know if it's still there
0: or not. The Mare?
1: La Mare. La Mare. Oh, uh-huh, see? Uh-huh. uh-huh
0: yeah.
1: It was wonderful because you could see a lot of celebrities oh, there on God. the weekends. They were just quiet oh, oh. and you They went there because nobody bothered them with autographs or interrupted their dinner and disturbed them. You'd see people like, I think I saw Johnny Mathis there one night eating, and uh, oh, the man that used to be on uh, Perry Mason, the one that played the D.A. I cannot think of his name, but you'd see all kind of uh people sitting there, and you mm-hmm. pretty Margaret Whiting you see musical figures
0: there. was this your first big um, chance to sing
1: yeah, you could say it was now um this was before sixty two and it wasn't really a big chance it was like I was like a little I wasn't the feature act, it was like a little intermission act, you know mm-hmm. i and sometimes i get some money for it and sometimes I wouldn't, sometimes it depended sure. what the tips were like. Because the feature act happened to be my cousin, who was oh. a pianist. His name is Howlett Smith, and he helped me a lot with popular music. He's wonderful. Howard? No, How, How-, How- Howlett, H-O-W-L-E-T-T. Okay. He uh, was the musical director for me and Bessie that toured with Linda Hopkins, who's one of the uh, big names in black and blue in New York, mm-hmm. and he's always been excellent at playing the piano and writing songs. So I kind of was like his little... Oh. He helped you. Yeah, a little warmer back with him or something, mm-hmm. and then he'd go on and entertain the rest of the night. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, he had a friend from St. Louis named Bob Reagan, a drummer, used to be with a group called the Original Three Trio, and they were on to piano bass, and yeah, Bob the drummer. They all sang and they were very hip, very sophisticated, like uh, the Mary Kay Trio, that kind of smart, bright, brisk sounding jazz, Jackie and Roy. And he heard me sing and he liked it. He liked my singing. He said, oh, there's not that many uh, jazz singers in uh, St. Louis and there's a new area that's opening called, excuse me, called the Gaslight Square. I think I could get you, well what it really was, it wasn't really the Gaslight, it was on the fringe of the Gaslight, like maybe one more block and you're out of it, but that was close enough. I could get you a a short-term engagement there and send him a tape or something and if you'd like to spread your wings. I said, "Oh, I love it," and, and you'd get paid and all that. And I said, "Wow!" <laughs> so he did. He, he was true to his word. He sent this club owner my tape, and they said, "Yeah, we'll book her for six weeks." So I wound up doing six there, and then. There was, remember
0: the name of
1: it. Yeah, it was called. Black uh, Jazz Hot. <laughs> it was a little. Joint, but it was fun. Nice people. I really enjoyed them. And then after that, before I left, there was a, a club that Kurt Flood was a part owner of. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Baseball was, player. mm-hmm. So I went there and worked a while, called a Gigi. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I kept trying to get back home, back to L.A., back to all the movie stars yeah. and stuff and a place right across, well, the next block called the Vanity Fair, had a little awning that ran out on the sidewalk and Jimmy Vanducci had designed a lot of these clubs after the tornado, I Mm -hmm. understand. He designed it, made like telephone booths inside. Two women owned it and they booked me and that lasted a while and a man across the way owned a place called The Black Horse. He came over with his piano player and there began a long period of entertaining. I stayed there three years. Oh my goodness. By then my aunt said, Do you still want this apartment or not? <laughs> it was a little place. I'm gonna have to rent it out to someone and I said, Okay so I put my cat in Hawk and <laughs> I hadn't let someone keep my cat and they'd fall in love with it. And I said, well, what's the use of bringing it to St. Louis? I'll get another cat." So you stayed. I stayed. And then I met with a guy in the symphony orchestra who played the bass named Terry Kippenberger. And he said, you know, they're booking a jazz group for the very first time in the young audiences. They've got all come, but they want a jazz group because that's such a part of American music. Explain what a young audience is. Oh yeah, the Young Audience is a nationally funded organization that prom- and it has many contributors that help it keep its keep it going, like the um uh, oh, the greater arts council of Saint Louis the uh, oh I forgot all the names that funded. You'd think I know after all these years the uh, the endowment of the Council of Arts, but anyway, that's okay. Oh, that's all right. It's that's been right. funded by so many yeah. people, but but its primary function is to educate as well as to entertain mm-hmm. school children mm-hmm. in the arts, be it dance, drama, and there's another group that does theater, and they have the Imaginary Theater Company, so we don't step over that line mm-hmm. from anything in the musical arts. And for years, well, I think ours is thirty years old. Uh, we've been at it thirty years in this town. I've been in it twenty, and this is a real tour de force for jazz to be finally going into the schools, mm-hmm. because they've had everything from little folk groups to opera to, you know what and they were, all the jazz musicians wanted to get in it, so Terry said, I don't think anybody has tried to audition with a vocalist, so why don't we be a little different? I said, and I'll ask Jeannie if she's interested, and I said, of course, I love kids anyway. So, as fate would have it, we got it, and I think a part of it was having a vocal, which jazz is very much a part of being you know, vocal as well as instrumental. So that began a long-term there, as I said, and A
0: long-term, that was—you told me that was 69 and -hmm. and you were supposed to do something this morning, so that's 20 years.
1: Yeah. And if needed, I always can get a leave of absence if if I have to go on tour with something Mm -hmm. big or—and they have other vocalists now that do wonderful work in town, Mm -hmm. like Asa Harris. And there was a nice girl that, uh, she got married, but she I thought she had a good future as a vocalist. Her name was Carla. I don't know what her new name is, so what she took her, my place. What
0: was her main name? Oh, boy.
1: Hmm. Gee, you know, I can't remember all of a sudden. All right.
0: Uh, let, let me talk about your particular sound mm-hmm. and your particular style. Uh, did you ever look to someone, Billy Holiday or anybody, mm-hmm. to emulate or to practice, or can you tell me about that?
1: Or well, when I was starting out in the opera thing, I always picked people I really admired to to try to practice with or work like and Since then, I've developed my own style. Uh, Sarah Vaughn, I loved her because her voice is so much like an instrument and she had range which was a part of the uh, classic feel. Billie Holiday I didn't understand until I got older because hers is such a unique sound it was hard to figure it out because I was listening for melody
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's not always melody that you listen for it's other things which she had. What are the other things? She had pathos and lots of soul, lots of suffering and and turmoil in her voice, and she could really phrase. Phrase, yeah. Uh, you know, like when you're an actress, how you, or when you're a person, how you group your words together. Mm-hmm. She knew how to to group her words together so that it sounded like she was talking right to you instead of singing at you. Sometimes a person can over sing, I think, mm-hmm. but she never did that. And uh, some of the more modern or contemporary artists I really admired were Nancy Wilson, Judy Garland, I thought she really knew how to deliver and there are men that I like that are so good that you have to like them like Sinatra, he's a master of phrasing he's wonderful, diction you can hear every word, the great Nat Cole Johnny Mathis for pure beauty. He has them all. But as I said, the women were like Nancy Wilson, Sarah Vaughn, Billie Holiday, Judy Garland, and I think Barbara Streisand has a great sound too. But those were my models, uh, not Barbara Streisand, but the others when I was growing up or growing along with them. Uh,
0: body movements and uh did you watch those too, and, or does, is that something that you have to uh, do as your, does that come with your voice, what you're feeling, how does that work?
1: Some people, or sometimes in my case, oh when I get on a big stage I try not to stand there, the singers don't, used to not concern themselves about body <laughs> movements getting the voice out was the most important part. But to be a little interesting, I, i
0: it depends on the song, but. Uh, we were speaking about body movements. Mm-hmm. You said the voice was the most important, but. Mm-hmm.
1: But if you're on a large stage, uh, sometimes choreography or little stage mo- movements will help present a better visual picture. It just all depends what you're doing and what you're singing or Mm -hmm. just what it is.
0: Um, Now, you start singing, um, you're watching the people that uh, you like. How how does the sound change or what happens to change your style, does it change? Does it happen naturally or is it something you work on?
1: Some people might, but mine was an evolution, you know. I guess based on living and life's experiences and understanding and maturity. Mm how oh, my style changed. Some people sound the same way, and perhaps it's best. Sometimes versatility, which I think I have because I do stage, I do show tunes, I do ballads, I do jazz, I scat. Scat? Yeah. What's that? Well, that is where the singer imitates the sounds of instruments or Point in case Al Jarreau, who's the master scat singer, Ella Fitzgerald was one of the founding scat singers. Uh, they say that Louis Armstrong started it because he was recording something and forgot his words and just started you know, riffing around, making up stuff without <laughs> wordless syllables, but that's a part of uh, jazz music, scatting. Uh, Mel is a good one, and uh, they're even beginning to do that in gospel music. I don't know if they were beginning it, but I'm just now noticing more of it, which I thought was rather unique. Mm I'd never heard it before, the gospel has changed a lot, but I won't get into that. No. I'm not a mistress of that.
0: <laughs> I admire it, though. There's a lot of good things in it. We can get into it if we want to do it at another date. <laughs> yeah. We have to stick to it. Are there elements in St. Louis that have affected the way your music has developed?
1: That's an interesting question. I think St. Louis has done a lot for my music, um, my development. not. Uh, music per se, but interpretation. There's a lot of very um, plain and honest and simple but soulful people that live here,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that makes you take a look at yourself, you know, and and you say, do I sound real? You know, these people are very real around here. These people aren't phony, for the most part. Mm-hmm. and. We listen to people in other cities, or other groups, and something... This isn't true about everyone, but something doesn't ring true. That's why there's so many good people from out of here. I think it's based on the heart of living here.
0: The heart of living here? Mm-hmm.
1: Especially black people. A lot of them have had a lot of hard times here. I never went to a segregated school or restaurant back east though we're having a lot of racial problems in New York now, which you is
0: never went to a segregated school. No. No, they were all
1: we were all mixed now in Harlem there were blacks and uh, Spanish and Orientals. Minority well, true. That's only because whites hadn't started to move to Harlem, but when I went to high school All the high schools were in integrated, were in New York City or Brooklyn, the Bronx, whatever whatever borough you lived in in Manhattan, and they were loaded with races, Italians, Jewish, Polish. So I really, in a sense, never went to a school that was segregated.
0: So the music school that you attended was?
1: And that was white-operated, and that was integrated. Mm -hmm.
0: I had meant to ask you, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we got on to something else. Was that something you had to audition for mm-hmm. and make, or could you just go there? Uh, there was an audition. You and did. they had to accept you, yeah, as opposed to just signing mm-hmm. your name, or...?
1: Right. Music or dancing, you we mm-hmm. were good at that. They didn't have theater, as I recall.
0: Uh, was there a, a sense of... Um, being black in that school, or did you have more of a sense of being just a creative person in that school? That's
1: what I love about music, just a creative person. And uh, Outside of music, when you run into all this stuff, it's just kind of hard to take, because we never talk. you know, we didn't get into racial issues, it was just the music at that time. And uh, of course later on it does play, I suppose, or did. They have non-traditional casting quite a bit of it now, but I suppose later on then there were plays written for just black people like Native Son and there was hardly anybody on Broadway in a role that was really an average person role a long, mm-hmm. long time ago. It's like maybe a servant or somebody mm-hmm. on the Broadway stage. But as far as just singing and mu- entertaining, it was uh, it wasn't uh, categorized racially. You had to have like a cry of the beloved country. Yeah, oh, but even that was integrated because well, I was in, South in that. South Africa, were you? Yeah, I played Linda, the nightclub, singer, <laughs> the nightclub singer. Oh. Wasn't that a great wonderful show? Music, oh, it? boy. They had the black choir, the, the natives, and then the townspeople, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Tell me who wrote that.
1: Uh, Alan Hayden so wrote Payton. the book, and Kurt Wilde wrote the music. Yeah. Maxwell Anderson wrote the uh,
0: libretto the lyrics. That came out of my childhood, I remember that. What a great show. Um. All right. So you moved to California, and that, that, was, that was very integrated.
1: integrated. And then I came out here, and they had just passed the uh, not the rule. Uh, the restaurants are segregated, or the movies, or something, because mm-hmm. everybody was talking about now we can go to any restaurant we want, and now we can go to any. And I said, "What do you mean? You 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 have money now, or something?" And they said, oh no, well, you know the story, and I just said, wow, and uh, then of course the 60s was the big civil rights uh, era, so that was all a part of it and made me very, I had black consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there are times you. They even wanted people wanted you to pick a side. Well, pick a side. Well, what? what side are you standing on? And blah blah blah. What kind of people wanted you to pick what side? What well, kind of side? Yeah. for a while there was even a black and a white union music union. Mm-hmm. Musicians union with the black president and the white And, and uh, I would just if somebody would ask me to sing or perform, I didn't. If they. Play, I didn't care what color they were. I wanted to work with quality. And someone would say, "Well, why don't you hire a black guy?" I said, "Well, I wasn't thinking of particularly. I was not. I didn't have that in mind. I was just, you know, singing." Or, "Don't you ever work with white people?" And then it was like the boy, the man, the boy, and the donkey. Don't you? I said, "Oh, sure." I do. <laughs> you know, you're Mm kind of tossed in the middle. I said, I'm not into all that, I'm just into somebody that plays good. But then, as time went on, I said to myself, I am my brother's keeper, you know, if there are good black musicians, I am going to consider them first because that we don't have the opportunity, I can see from out here, I'm not in New York, I'm not in LA, but there's just, this isn't part of, there's not that many opportunities, and if I could get through anything, or give or present anything my black brother's way, I will do so, not at the cost of being prejudiced against right. my white brother, but I'm gonna look out, I'm mm-hmm. gonna look out, mm-hmm. God bless the child that's got his own. So uh, there's another you know thing that came up through the years that hadn't even given a thought about when you were younger or not raised in an environment
0: like that. I have a question I want to ask before mm-hmm. I forget it, but I, I want when you came out here and they said, um, oh, we can go to restaurants now. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, you'd been doing this yeah. uh, in New York and in and California. I, mm-hmm. um, did you? you was Could you possibly have had any anger, uh, any frustration?
1: I think I was so surprised, I mean, I know it sounds silly, but no, I just didn't know that that had been going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first emotion was surprise. The second one was sadness, I really got depressed. The third one was kind of anger, you know. Gee, who do you think they are? Why do you want to do this to people?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Us and the, f- and uh, there's another emotion, I can't even remember, it might not have been important, but I know several, I went through several phases of feeling.
0: What did those phases of feeling have to do with your music? Did they show up in your music?
1: Well, you're, your music is a, a part of you. No. I tried to separate the two, but it, they did show up in a good way because I started learning a lot of blues, which I had never delved in mm-hmm. because I didn't tell I had a blues type of voice. But then I said, well, yeah, blues is an experience, you know, not a voice per se. So those experiences made me start really looking into the blues a lot or soulful tunes that that. That uh, that really did it.
0: Uh, I I can't let this go by, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I, I have so many things to go back and pick up on. Blues is an experience.
1: It can be or a feeling, and you don't have to be a, a certain race to uh, to be able to relate this. But blues is equated to the black man because he. More or less invented the letting of this thing out. It comes back from the slavery days when mm-hmm. oh, the only way they could uh, communicate, they weren't allowed to talk a lot, and they could sing it. And they the the white owners didn't know what they're saying because they would run words together so fast, like if the white man was coming to do something or on their way they would come by here he'd come by here I, if you listen to it he's coming by here you know and they thought they were talking African and, mm-hmm. and gibberish mm-hmm. and stuff and it would and that would help them with their work you know out in the fields to be able to I didn't make a cent today had Job cotton or whatever it was they were doing and that's uh, a part of that Well, the beginning of the blues, the birth of the blues, as the song goes, but I'm sure a lot of groups that have been oppressed have had their own form of the blues. Jewish people, who knows what they sang in the prison camps there, I don't know, but I'm sure all that's really blues.
0: Do, whether it's jazz or ragtime or blues, is there one music for any audience, or is there a uh, music that they, the blacks sing for blacks, and then do they change it for whites?
1: I think it's the same music, but it's the response that, when they say break a leg, you know, if an audience is with you, then you throw in little extra things, no matter what they are. But I think blacks might understand some of the blues better than the white audiences, but a lot of the white audiences, especially the younger white kids, are relating a lot to the blues.
0: When people are composing, mm-hmm. are they composing from what comes out of them or do they change it? They're composed for a different audience.
1: You know, I'm beginning to wonder about that. I don't know about that since I'm not a composer. But you... But When I went home, there was an article in the New York Times about, is bigotry invading rock? I don't know a lot about the rock world. And uh, to make a a long article short, uh, there have been some rock groups that are getting followers because of hate lyrics inside their um, songs. I've saved the article because I couldn't believe that either. Uh, they've talked about the Jews and the blacks and homosexuals in the music in derogatory ma- the lyrics, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be hip or funny, mm-hmm. and so I, I had never experienced that. That's supposed uh, to appeal to certain people. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was thinking more of, 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 of the standard music as far oh, okay. as blues and ragtime. I mean, what, some people have said that um, uh, music, certain music is, is black music, therefore it's for black audiences. They write it for black audiences, and they may write it differently or compose differently for a black audience as opposed to a white audience.
1: Um, mm, I don't think that's so anymore.
0: Was it ever being? I think
1: so, yeah, because we weren't allowed on the major labels, like Capitol. Nat Cole was the, one of the few. Mm-hmm. And that's all, ironically. But they were called blue labels, mm-hmm. and they were for black artists. Chess, mm-hmm. and I forgot some of the other names. And, and so, as a result, white record or record buyers would not buy them. So we tended to write experiences that we knew about. Uh, the house rent parties and the mm-hmm. the fish fries, chitlins in the winter and stuff like that, you know, because so nobody else was buying, so we wrote about our own life's experiences. Wouldn't you have
0: written about the same thing anyway?
1: Whether we were allowed on their albums or not? Mm-hmm. Nah, Because I don't think anybody would have bought them. No. Nope. So you, supply and demand, you know. I see. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, now back to when you came here and you were working, and you were talking about um, cl- clubs mm-hmm. that you were in, mm-hmm. and you had this sense of um, working. You wanted to work for for a black musician if possible. Um, what were the hiring policies of the white musicians and white clubs?
1: I honestly don't know because when I started, I was fortunate enough to start at in the Gaslight Square area. And that was more like New York. It was well integrated than any place I had been to in St. Louis. They had Singleton Palmer. They had the famous Quartet Travian, with a marvelous black jazz vocalist named Clea Bradford, who's now in Washington, let's see myself, and then they had Biggies that came down to the Crystal Palace. Uh, People who were promising but unknown, like Barbara Streisand, Smothers Brothers, and Phyllis Diller, Stars of Tomorrow, they said. So that was as closest to the Greenwich Village or New York as I had ever been to, and that was the highlight of the place. And that's where the races did meet and have a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. listening to music and talking together and being together, a two-block area. Other than that, it went into little
0: sections, you know. Mm -hmm. Did the... uh, uh, So those were real opportunities? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, did the white clubs hire to pay more?
1: Well, they had separate unions, so it was hard for me to tell what the white union would pay as opposed to the black.
0: Mm-hmm. That I don't know. When but I did oh. Oh. Did you have a choice of belonging to a white or a black union, or did you have <laughs> to... I mean, would they never integrated at this point? Uh,
1: at the time I came here, they were not getting singers into, into the union, unless you played an instrument.
0: Oh, you couldn't be part of the union?
1: No, at that time. But now you can. You can join the musicians local
0: right. as a singer. Is it yep. one union now? It's now one union, uh uh-huh. mm. Because it had, they had banned, I think, uh, blacks. Up and I think they started it again in 1944 oh. to have a black union, I think, uh, mm. in between there. They yeah. didn't, so I didn't, I, 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 what I meant was, did you have to go through a, a white union? No, well,
1: the singers, it was the musicians in back of her. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, I think they integrated in the 70s here, mm-hmm.
0: union-wise now you are yeah.
1: you you part of the union now well no i'm not i elected not to join I'm already in two three unions really mm-hmm. It's really not necessary for me now I'm in actors' equity as an actress i'm in after American federation of radio and TV artists, and I was in one p- motion picture and i'm Sort of like an on honor, honorary withdrawal from the Screen Actors Guild I'm just about up to my years in union dues, so if oh, I don't have to no. <laughs> but I'm very I support the union musicians here black and well it's all one union now but I support them and all the jobs that come through the union I'm a union supporter so um, I think that's about it I can't afford to join any more unions unless I really get big
0: time with something. Uh, did you feel that uh, we, we discussed your particular style? Uh, you said it had changed. I, I, I want to be sure we...
1: Life's experiences had mm-hmm. meant change, oh. yeah.
0: Did you let social, or political, any, or uh, anything like economic from on the outside. Uh, we did... T- we yeah. I think we touched on that. that. That's yeah. Anything we want to add? I know th- interesting things came up, and I would sort of a minute on it. It was hard to... I wanted to be sure that we... Yeah, you know, I think I, we covered mm, that. Okay. Uh, would you say that St. Louis was a, was a good place for you to have been? Um, for your music or would you have preferred to have been somewhere else
1: This was a good starting ground I like I, I think if it wasn't for st. Louis, I might not you know be the artist that I am today or people like today
2: mm-hmm.
1: The only thing that there's a few missing areas here for everyone. What are those? There's not a lot of major record distributing companies here. Plus, they do not hire a lot of local talent for commercials. They're getting better. They send somewhere else, mm-hmm. like Chicago or New York. We have as many capable people here as any of those people I've heard. Is it uh, pic- huh? I'm
0: sorry. Go ahead.
1: And there's no motion picture companies here, which would be nice. Lots of theaters coming up, which is a real plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started, it was just about zilch. But the black rep has has really been wonderful for black actors and actresses, but now they're using black actors and actresses quite a bit at the major companies, in the major companies here.
0: So, would it be a time, was there a time that you could have moved on? Mm-hmm. As far as your career is yeah. concerned, there was, or well, hopefully still is. If I
1: have to, you know, mm-hmm. do
0: something. Yeah, I mean, move away from Saint. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Is is there a, well, people need to record.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you recorded,
1: I have, but it's been on a limited basis because of mm-hmm. distribution. Uh. I had one major company, but the owner died quite suddenly and it fell into bad mainstream label. They had very good artists on it, Clark Terry, Morgana King, Carmen McRae did some recording on it, and some St. Louis people, the Travian, no, no take it back, they they were incognito it's with me on mine. It. Yeah, scratch that, they were on loan just to do mm-hmm. the background for me, but um, what was the other person? This Clear Bradford I mentioned, who's a jazz singer in Washington, the D.C. area,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I mentioned Claude Terry, who's a St. Louisan. And
0: they had other big names that I
1: can't think of. Hmm. But that was that almost proved to be prom. It almost made it. But when people die or something happens with the business turnover, that can make or break. A company, if it's not really a well-established one, but it was a good jazz company, jazz mm-hmm. recording artist company.
0: Do you know people here that are making a living without working a second job mm-hmm. in jazz music?
1: Me. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say a second. I do bits and pieces of my, the arts, the acting, mm-hmm. the. Uh, I'm with a good agency now that does commercials and print work, and I'm breaking ground in that a little bit now, mm-hmm. so that has come along and helped a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do know quite a few,
0: So it's hard St. though. St. Louis would be a good place to stay?
1: If you've got a toe hole in it, yeah. But I would recommend, after you've learned all you can, you might want to throw yourself out in the field, just to, to stack, you—you've s- you've, got to measure yourself with other people, and I probably need to do that a lot. I got to measure myself toe to toe with other artists in other cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you need to do that. You need the experience yeah. of meeting other people, too. Going other places, it doesn't hurt. I especially recommend that for younger people. Don't go there, you know, without your tools. Get your basic mm-hmm. tools here, and you could come back here and still be a star. Mm-hmm. What is a star? Oh boy, <laughs> that's such a phony word, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Something someone looks up to. They <laughs> twinkle. twinkle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but what is a star in your in down deep what is a star? Well, not just the phoniness of it but what constitute that because that is a word we use so yeah. or when somebody's made it I Th- tell what you does what. that mean to you not to me but, <laughs> but as a as someone who has recorded as someone who has uh, made it. Given some time to What does it mean? Well, when
1: I don't have to put something on layaway, (laughs) I can just
0: buy it cash. So you're speaking in a financial and a monetary sense?
1: That's one sense.
0: What's the other? I know
1: people don't say that, it has a lot to do with it. Having it made. And the other one is, well, you have an identity. People say, ah, that's the Alice that sound, or that, you know, they recognize your sound, they recognize what's you, even if it's a caricature thing, it's uniquely you. Mm -hmm.
0: When we're talking about sounds, let's talk about the St. Louis sound. Is there a St. Louis sound, a stamp?
1: Mm Hmm. St. Louis has so many versatile folks that come from here. I think the staff is (laughs) excellent. I really do. When you're good, you're good here. I mean, I can't say enough about St. Louis artists. I'm not kidding. Um,
0: Tell me about some good people here.
1: Oh boy, there's amazingly a lot still left here. Fontella Bass and her mother. Martha Bass, who's a fabulous gospel singer. A, uh, in the world of jazz, the quartet of the trio Trabian when they expand, they're a quartet, but it's three brothers, basically. Mm-hmm. They are uniquely rare and they're still here. They are so terrific. You wouldn't believe it. They were Decca, art, Decca recording artists and traveled a lot for a long time. And they're still here. They're going to be on that big uh, Josephine Baker program mm-hmm. tonight, the Adams. Uh, there's a duo of a trio now. They've added uh, Eddie Eaton, who's got the voice and the looks to go with his voice, and the keyboard guy Marion Miller. John Mixon, a fabulous bass player and cellist. They're still here. And a young group I work with, a young duo, keyboard guy, Peter Williams and Daryl Mixon. Petar is a classically trained musician who plays jazz as well as the classics, and his skill is unexcelled. Believe me, you haven't heard piano like his. If you're a classical lover, you'll hear that. If you're a jazz lover, you'll hear that, or you'll hear both. And his uh, partner, Daryl makes you fall in love with the bass again. Mm. And uh, those guys are young, you know, really young, like late 20s, or early 30s, something Mm -hmm. like that. And they've traveled, they've been to Europe, and they've had opportunities. And I predict that they will, be moving on pretty soon. They ought to. The world should hear those guys. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Describe some of the places or the joints or the clubs (laughs) that you've been in. Here? Mm -hmm. Well, there are the boats. There
1: was the River Queen, Mm -hmm. the uh, Becky Thatcher. I think those are the only two boats I worked on. I think I mentioned the clubs on Gaslight, didn't I? The mm-hmm. Black Horse and the
0: Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm.
1: Then I ma- mainly hotels, I've done a lot of nice hotel jobs, mm-hmm. like the Westport, Sheridan, Westport, you know, Clayton Inn. Mm-hmm.
0: When you came, was the Riviera Nightclub still open in mm-hmm. Del Mar?
1: Yeah, it was. I used to go there after hours, after I got out of Gaslight, because mm-hmm. <laughs> they had a late, late show. That was a classic. Yes. What? What?